Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Saturday to you. Hey, it's 4th of July today, so I hope you're relaxing and enjoying this uh, Independence Day. Um, kind of apropos, uh, as you know, last week, Scott Walter on the uh, uh, American Unearthed talked about our founding fathers, uh, their Mason background, and um, the sacredness of our country, and today is time to think about that, to think about what they uh, came over here to do, uh, and what, what makes America special to you. It's funny, I, um, I've i traveled through Europe and done a lot of uh, uh, travel through uh, uh, Central uh, America, and, you know, you, you just, just don't know how great our country is until you go to other countries, <laughs> um, and it's... it's um, uh, uh, each country has its own personality, and I personally really uh, have a great love for Mexico, uh, even though it's challenged in its uh, its administration, its government, and um, the country is very poor, but it, it has a, a, a real charm to it that I really love. But but America, America is a really amazing place, and... Um, Today is a time to think about that, so I hope you will, uh, as you're celebrating, shooting your fireworks, having a craft beer, and enjoying a hot dog. So, happy 4th of July. 
Um, I want to, uh, to, to highlight some of the things that happened this past week. I have been posting uh, uh, photographs from the surface of Mars, and uh, I don't want Earth ancients to become a Mars-centric kind of uh, focus group. Um, and program, but Mars continues to fascinate me, and um, I posted a series of photographs uh, uh, just a couple of days ago on some of the surface features, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, actually under uh, the weekly Mars image, there is a photo that came up um, just uh, a few days ago of what looks like, uh, and, it, and it's very definitive in its shape, what looks like part of an underground canal system that has been pushed to the surface. Now, no one knows actually how big it is. Uh, some people say it's an actual building. Um, but what did come up in a number of analyses is, is that this is man, it's, it's, it's a, a intelligently designed and engineered. Um, and um, actually it's posted on, it was posted June 30th, but it's been uh, uh, re-examined a number of times by, by a number of people that have uh, quality imaging uh, technology. And, and this, this, pro, this um, photo actually shows what looks like uh, concrete slabs and a structure. Now it, it may be very small. It may be, um, and it's a close-up, the photo is a close-up of this, it may be the uh, remains of a piping system, an underground piping system, or maybe it was on the surface and it's just been broken. But one of the most fascinating parts of this image is, is that the angular construction or uh, how it was poured into a mold or constructed um, just on the surface is uh, so uh, artificial. It's just amazing. And there's nothing anyone can say. And I would love for a representative from, from NASA or the guys that are working the rover that took the picture out in Pasadena at JPL, uh, Jet Propulsion Lab, to really say something about this. Um, and it's it's really it's really hard, and I think many of the comments about the photographs were that you know the Americans won't fess up. Maybe we got to get the Russians, and the Russians have sent satellites to Mars, uh, but maybe somebody with deep pockets like China needs to take a look at it and really divulge some of these um, these anomalies on the surface of the planet. Um, but what what came out on this photo was that as you pull back from this small canal, the small uh, structure that is uh, uh, very square and geometric in shape and it looks like concrete, is that scattered around it are a number of sculptures. Uh, and uh, there have been other sculptures uh, featured around Cydonia, the region where the face on Mars is. And uh, these sculptures are distinct. And um, I posted some photos um, just a couple of days ago uh, on the Facebook Earth Ancients group page. You got to go to the group page. 
and uh, the, the, the sculptures are, are just amazing and uh, some of them are very distinct with um, uh, helmets, facewear, um, and distinct um, symbology on their chest. So I, I just don't know how, how uh, uh, NASA and JPL can continue to uh, say that there is no nothing man uh, uh, artificial on the planet. Um, the follow-up to that uh, segment is another series of photographs of um, massive uh, surface reliefs, and these include uh, heads of people or humanoids. Uh, there's the most famous one is this uh, bald head individual. Some people call it JPL or um, Lyndon B. Johnson because he has a big ear. <laughs> and um, there's a number of other animals and uh, uh, birds and people uh, that are, are, are put together in this compilation that you can find on Earth Ancients' Facebook page uh, under Mars. And these are fairly, fairly substantial uh, images. As an artist, as a... Uh, someone who studied uh, engineering and uh, uh, architecture, these are not simple uh, uh, flashes of light. They are uh, artificially created on a massive scale. Some of them are half a mile across and um, were made to be seen from above the ground. So uh, the, the, the beings that uh, posted this, and by the way, uh, the, the, the the series of photos I'm talking about, the title is Ancient Mars, and it was posted just a couple of days ago, uh, July uh, July 2nd, uh, and basically the first paragraph reads uh, here, it's, uh, we now have verifiable evidence that Mars was once inhabited over one million years ago by a sophisticated civilization. To date, NASA has decided not to re reveal details on the huge amounts of standing archaeology that litters the surface of the planet, but has ceased covering up the data. And I'll let you read the rest of it. Now we know that because uh, Dr. John Brandenburg has revealed to us that he's uh, of the understanding, and, and there's other scientists, space scientists, that he's uh, spoken with and have talked to him about this, that NASA is not covering it up anymore. It's JPL. JPL, who who runs the rovers is uh, selecting what people see, uh, but just because there's so much uh, surface archaeology, they can't cover it all up. So people are catching it, like uh, uh, what we see in this these groups of photographs. So take a look at it. It's kind of a, a cool uh, opportunity to see some real outstanding archaeology and uh, surface reliefs, artistic reliefs on a massive scale and let's just cross our fingers that our government will one day soon um, just say hey we have found uh, evidence of a of a civilization on the surface so uh, well we can only cross our fingers that that time will come soon <laughs> so that is uh, on uh, the Facebook page so Hey, um, you guys probably remember, I think it was about a month and a half ago, when uh, my guest was Dr. Danny, 
Nanawig Jaja, who is the geologist and the uh, uh, responsible uh, archaeologist who's excavating the Indonesian pyramid known as Ganun Penang. And um, one of the real interesting features uh, of this was that, first of all, uh, Dr. Danny, Danny was um, telling us that every bit of research was uh, verified and they were doing pretty substantial uh, C14 or, or uh, uh, age testing, uh, carbon dating. And what made this ancient ruin, uh, this pyramid, quite unique was they were getting dates back as far back as 20,000 years ago. I think one of the dates was 28,000 years ago. And the engineering prowess uh, involved in this, um, in the design of this pyramid included uh, various rooms, various uh, levels uh, that have been built up over thousands and thousands of years. And um, I even believe he had discussed that they had used uh, certain equipment that could measure uh, certain types of radiation that were coming out of uh, the center of the building, uh, the pyramid. And um, Danny wrote a book and felt that it was potentially um, part of a uh, of, of much older civilization in the Pacific. Um, and, and what we do know is, and what we've heard about, and, and we've heard about it from people like Colonel James Churchward in his books on Lemuria or Mu, is that the, the, there was apparently a sophisticated culture that lived uh, in the Pacific on this massive continent. And um, over a period of time, the, the landmass was destroyed uh, by various uh, tectonic shifts uh, that basically collapsed it. But there really hasn't been, other than Church Ward's work, any really solid material uh, or, or new books on uh, uh, Mu. Uh, and this is why my guest today um, is uh, uh, presenting some very, very interesting research on what he has discovered. Now, my guest today is George Schwimmer. Um, he is a, here he was a theater director for 30 years, uh, as well as teaching theater at two colleges and a uh, university. He later studied film at UCLA Extension and was a, uh, a VP of development for a Los Angeles TV uh, station. Um, after he did that, for the next 35 years, he studied and practiced life therapy, uh, spirit releasement, Reiki, past life readings, and shamanic healings. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his shamanic work. But I think the unique uh, part of what George brings to the plate on Mu is that he, he believes that this is quite verifiable on a number of levels, and, and we're... Uh, going to hear about what he has discovered. George, welcome welcome to the program. How are you today? Thank you, Cliff. Good, be, good to be with you. Yeah. So um, the, the complete title of this work that you've done is Moo, 
the first great civilization and its connection to Peru, New Mexico, the Hopi, and the Santa Fe. And Santa Fe. Um, can you, um, I mean, first of all, I mean, we talked a little bit before the show. Why should we be interested in a lost continent that is 20, 30, 40, 100,000 years old? Is there some connection that we need to be uh, uh, interested in? Well, and that, that, that's sort of an interesting question after you just got through talking about the ancient civilizations on Mars. Um, I think the, the, the main reason is that for some uh, probably political reason, uh, it's the best word I can think of, the establishments uh, around the world for the last several thousand years have been suppressing information. I don't know why they've been doing that. Uh, the only thing I can figure out is that it came out of the various religions, which were, of course, uh, invented, and the priests uh, in these uh, religions uh, used the suppression of information to control the people who they wanted to control. And that's the only thing I can think of, because it is bizarre how uh, scientists uh, keep uh, misrepresenting the uh, history of the Earth and uh, keep uh, ignoring and uh, suppressing information that is factual. It's not, not even theoretical. It, it is factual. So uh, I can't really tell you why, why this uh, has taken place. Um, mm -hmm. With my background, though, um, you were talking about the 4th of July, and that sort of sparked something in my head that I hadn't thought about before. And uh, both Mu and Atlantis um, not only collapsed uh, uh, physically, geologically, and went to the ocean, but they the civilizations collapsed because the people who were ruling uh, these and running these countries uh, kept becoming more and more corrupt and uh, greedy and uh, power hungry and uh, when I think about that and I think about the present um, political and uh, uh, economic situation in the United States uh, it uh, gives me a little bit of a worry because this is the kind of progression that took place in both Atlantis and Mu uh, mm. where, the, where the spiritual aspect of uh, the countries were uh, eroded, and uh, after a while, the only thing people cared about was money and power. And it seems to me that, that like uh, that's the same sort of thing that's happening in the United States right now. And uh, the other thing that uh, sparked in my head when you were talking about the Fourth of July was that, uh, from a spiritual point of view, it's a very possible. A lot of people have said that the United States is a spiritual experiment. And uh, this spiritual experiment could be a sort of a replaying of what should have happened uh, with the societies of Mu and Atlantis, but didn't. And so, you know, we have to be hopeful that we're not going to wind up the same way as Mu and uh, Atlantis did. That, that's fascinating thought. Uh, I think I remember reading a passage from Edgar Cayce's book that there was... Uh, uh, two uh, factions in Atlantis that fought uh, constantly, and one was a very highly spiritual group, and another one was maybe more uh, uh, 
uh, focused on the material wealth of the of the times, and uh, it was an ultimate demise of the of the of the of the country. Yeah, that 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 is correct. The the uh, technologists uh, won. Uh, I had an interesting experience with that. Uh, just to mention this quickly, when I was doing past life therapy, I had a client who uh, lived in Atlantis when it was in its final stages of uh, uh, destruction, and she described exactly what you just said, that there were two groups of people, one spiritually oriented and the others who were uh, scientific and apparently very stubborn, and uh, eventually she and a lot of the other spiritual people uh, left and uh, the uh, Atlantis, the last of Atlantis, was destroyed by the scientists and military uh, by their misuse of lasers. Wow. Um, let's talk a little bit about this wonderful book that you wrote. Um, in the introduction of the book, you describe your shamanic initiation into the, is, I'm going to say it, is it Cuero? Cuero. Uh, Cuero? Yeah, K. You could you pronounce it K E R O. Okay, K E R O. Caro shamanic rites of passage, and um, that you said that this was the trigger point uh, uh, in the beginning of your interest in the discovery and the the background of Mu. What did the shaman of the Peru uh, area where you received your initiation tell you about Mu? Was it was there some uh, form of uh, history that was presented, or was it more that the rituals were tens of thousands of years old, and that was the trigger point? Uh, nobody ever talked about Mu, which is uh, kind of interesting. But uh, I was given these, uh, part, part of the training was getting uh, these nine uh, sacred rites, and they're not just symbolic. They have very practical uh, purposes, which I won't get into because it's too long a story. But uh, after I got these rites, which uh, some of them were really magical, um, the, uh, our lead instructor, Dr. Uh, Alberto Violdo, who's been uh, working and uh, studying with the uh, Caro shamans for close to 30 years now, uh, he's an anthropologist, and he said uh, he thought these rites went back under 100,000 years, and I thought, 100,000 years? Where did, that, where did that come from? And that just kept bugging me, you know. And I started uh, these studies back in uh, 2005. And uh, for the next uh, five to uh, seven uh, or eight years, uh, this, this question kept periodically coming up in my mind. And I kept thinking, where in God's name uh, could these have come from? What, what existed? What human uh, civilization existed 100,000 years ago? I didn't know of anything except Atlantis. And uh, then uh, I remembered also that uh, there had been this continent of and civilization of what most people call Lemuria, except I'd never read anything about it. It was just mentions in one book or another, one esoteric book or another. Uh, then I recalled that Edgar Casey had had a handful of readings that uh, mentioned uh, people from uh, Lemuria or Mu. And then in the back of my head, I suddenly remembered uh, years and years ago, I had run across a mention of a, a Colonel James Churchward who had written uh, five books. I didn't know it was five books then, but had written about Moo. And so I went online uh, and I went to Amazon, and sure enough, there was James Churchward. 
and he had written five books on Mu. And I found uh, one uh, offer where they offered five uh, copies of paperbacks of his books, and I bought those and I read them. And it just sort of, uh, sort of, you know, lit up this uh, bulb in my head, and I thought, oh, okay. And the immediate connection that I made was that uh, Mu was a very spiritual uh, society. And uh, a great many, and probably most of the ruins that are uh, attributed to Mu or to uh, people who uh, went to other parts of the world, uh, their buildings were temples. So, which uh, tells us, you know, that uh, they were very spiritual. Well, this connects with my Karo shamans. Now, uh, everybody thinks that the Karo are descendants of the Inca, but they're not. Uh, in fact, most of the Inca empire, for most people who have read this already know, uh, most of the people in the Inca empire weren't Inca. The Inca conquered uh, neighboring uh, tribes and civilizations and cities and whatever, and uh, either conquered them militarily or peacefully incorporated them into their empire. And so the the ancestors of the Karo shamans were called Laika, L-A-I-K-A, and that means um, um, oh, what's the word now? Keepers of wisdom. Okay. And so I made the I made this connection between the Laika and Mu. This was just an intellectual connection. I had nothing to base it on. But I decided uh, I'm going to go online and I'm going to go down to Amazon and see if I can find any books about Mu. Well, as you point out, there has been very little written about Mu as an entire book. But there are books that have chapters that deal with aspects of Mu. And what I found interesting about that is that almost all of these books have been published in 2000. James Churchward published his book on Mu in 1928, and then he published his other books in the next two or three years, and virtually nothing was written for the next 70 years. And all of a sudden now, people are writing about Mu since the turn of the century. So that's Why do you think that is? Why, why, yeah, why would you think that starting in 2000, this would be a, a, a resurgence of interest in, uh, in Mu? I can only say it comes from a spiritual aspect, because why, why did I get interested in Mu? I, I had no reason to. I had absolutely no mm -hmm. reason to get interested in Mu. I, you know, I spent a great 35 years of my life uh, involved in all kinds of other metaphys metaphysical things, and mm -hmm. I knew nothing about Mu and had no interest in shamanism. I had no interest in Mu. All of a sudden, I'm interested in shamanism. All of a sudden, I get uh, interested in finding out, you know, what the origins of this are and of Mu are. I don't know. It's a spiritual thing, and I don't. I can't really explain it to you completely. I can give okay. you a couple of guesses. I give okay. you some guesses, but that's all I can do. Okay. So, George, let's uh, let's help our um, audience. Those of don't know about Lemuria or Mu, tell, can you give us a little primer? What what where was Mu? Uh, what is just a little historic? Uh, overview would be great before we dive into the, to some details. Uh, according to Churchward, uh, well, let me just mention something about uh, James Churchward. He was a, a military man in the British Army. He was sent to India, I guess it was somewhere around in the 1870s, 
and uh, he apparently had some time on his hands, and he got interested in uh, temple uh, carvings and what the symbols meant, and he uh, met a priest at one of these temples, and uh, the priest noticed that uh, Churchward was interested in these symbols, and so he started tutoring uh, Churchward about the symbols and what they meant and so on. And in the course of that, he mentioned that in the temple there were these uh, ancient tablets that went way back in time. And of course, Churchward got uh, very interested immediately, and the priests uh, refused to uh, show them to him. And uh, Churchward kept on uh, uh, coming up with different ploys to uh, get the priest to show him the tablets. And finally, the priest said, okay, I'll show you a couple. And so he brought a couple out uh, from storage to somewhere deep under the temple and uh, read the, the uh, inscriptions. This man knew how to read the, uh, these uh, uh, inscriptions on these tablets. And uh, not only did Churchward get uh, fascinated, but the priest got fascinated. So then they went and unpacked all of these uh, tablets uh, over a period, I guess, of months or maybe even longer. And this is where all his information came from. Okay, so that's the background. Now, uh, people discount, uh, the, the scientific community discounts Churchward because he didn't reference, he didn't footnote his books, and he refused to say where the temple was located because a priest was afraid that uh, if the uh, location were revealed, then people would come and steal them or destroy them or whatever, which had been done before uh, at other temples. So uh, Churchward couldn't uh, you know, make himself believable to the scientific community, although if you read his books, uh, it's very obvious that you know, he's not making this stuff up. So anyway, according to him, uh, the uh, continent of Amu was a huge continent. I forget the exact uh, uh, amount of miles. It was something like uh, 5,000 by 3,000 miles, uh, I think is what he said. And uh, it was not uh, totally uh, connected. There were three, three segments, and the three segments were separated by some uh, bit of water, apparently not a great deal. Uh, but anyway, they were separated a little bit by water, so it wasn't one solid continent. There were three segments to this continent. Uh, according to these uh, tablets, the uh, population was about 64 million people. And uh, apparently the continent went, this, let's, let's put it this way, the civilization of Mu went back about 200,000 years. Uh, he didn't get into, and I don't think anybody can even guess at this point, what went before you know, to create this civilization or how it started. But he said that uh, his feeling was that you know, the biblical Garden of Eden actually was on the continent of Mu. And uh, he, he didn't say, you know, a man was created on the continent of Mu, but uh, that's what he, he mentioned. So anyway, so there okay. would be 64, 64 million people over, you know, these uh, many uh, millennia. And eventually, as the population grew, uh, either because the population was getting a little bit big or because people were just adventurous, uh, some people started going out to other parts of the world. And uh, eventually they created uh, different uh, societies uh, like Atlantis and uh, India and uh, Indonesia and Japan and uh, so on. 
And so if, if you look at the, the world map, you see, okay, Le, uh, Mu is in the middle of the, uh, the Pacific, and people went both east and west. Right. Okay, now... Uh, think, uh, one of the, let me just interrupt you real quickly. One of the things that you bring up that I have known about, and our audience probably doesn't know, but there's a very, very ancient Hindu text called the Rig Vedas, and yeah. they give, give reference to... Uh, the great civilization. Now they don't say Mu, but they do no. give reference to a great civilization that's thousands and thousands of years old. And I think the audience needs to understand just how old Mu was, and and why in your book you call it the first great civilization. We're talking tens of thousands of years ago. Very, very, very ancient. Uh, what maybe a hundred thousand years or or older, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, they started, uh, uh, Churchward didn't say when they started moving out of Mu to other countries, but uh, in reference to that uh, uh, document from India, it uh, states that it was a huge continent to the east of India, which puts it in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, mm -hmm. and it says they were worshippers of the sun, which is not true, but everybody thinks uh, we can get into the symbology of that, but the, the symbol of the sun was very important to Mu, so maybe that's why they call them sun worshippers. But Churchill says they were not sun worshippers. The sun was simply a symbol of uh, Mu and a symbol of the creator. And uh, uh, according to that Indian document, uh, that continent was destroyed by volcanoes and uh, tidal waves and uh, left only... Uh, Indonesia and uh, the Pacific Islands, which is exactly what happened. So although mm -hmm. they don't call it Mu, uh, other, in every other respect, uh, the uh, Indian document is uh, correct. Okay. And uh, one, of the, one of the more interesting things, just sort of a sidelight, but it's uh, interesting all the same, particularly with you talking about a, a civilization on Mars, you know, everybody uh, has this pride in modern civilization that we're the technological civilization. Well, the records or stories or legends of Atlantis and Mu both indicate that both uh, the people of Mu and the people of Atlantis had flying machines of one kind or another. And Indian documents also indicate that in the far history of India, they had flying, uh, flying machines. So mm. that that's sort of interesting there also. That is, yeah. Do we have um, a sense of the uh, uh, consciousness that they brought to, say, uh, Mexico uh, or the uh, present, or what was known as Atlantis or other places? I mean, you, you talk about them as a peaceful, uh, highly spiritual group. Obviously, they had technology if they had flying machines, but um, is there something about them uh, that is like a trademark to Mu in terms of their level of consciousness and what they leave to these other parts of the world that you discovered? Yeah, you have, you have to put it into the context of time and of what happened to Mu. Now, uh, I don't know what they did when they first came here. Uh, or other places. But um, Mu was destroyed in three uh, epochs. One was around 50,000 uh, uh, BC. The first uh, segment uh, uh, went under the ocean. 
uh, second segment went on the ocean around uh, 26 or 28,000 BC, something like that. And the uh, third one, uh, uh, immersion uh, and the final destruction of Mu came around uh, 11,000 BC. Now, obviously, after the first destruction and inundation, uh, the people of Mu had to have known that they were living uh, on a unstable continent and uh, that they were living on borrowed time, although it was many thousands of years. But uh, in any case, they started uh, apparently uh, emigrating at a greater rate and when they uh, came to the various places, and I did not try to find out about places like India or Indonesia, but uh, I was focused on the uh, w- the west coast of North and South America and mm-hmm. along uh, that arc, they built uh, huge uh, cities, huge temples, massive temples, and these all reflected... Uh, the spiritual nature of the people, because everywhere, and uh, uh, there are, you know, archaeologists claim that we haven't even found all the different cities or temples or whatever in South America, because the jungles of South America are so dense that uh, you can't even get through. So there are still temples and cities to be found somewhere, and they're all similar. so, you know, the idea of a uh, pyramid, you know, uh, if you say pyramid, most people think of, you know, uh, Egypt, but there are pyramids all over the world, uh, including Europe. And even in the United States, there were some uh, so-called pyramids that were made out of dirt. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is a structure that is similar all around the world, and these are all temples. Uh, and uh, as I say, you know, huge cities which uh, uh, indicate a great technological um, uh, expertise by the people who built them. Uh, okay. For example, in all of these places, the stones are cut so exactly that you can't hardly put a hair between them. They are fitted okay. so closely, and nobody can figure out how it was done. It couldn't have been done, you know, with chisels and uh, uh, things like that. And, uh, you know, I can only guess that uh, somewhere back then uh, uh, they had some technology, uh, maybe like lasers or whatever, but nobody can figure out how they were built. Uh, they had such a high technology. And this so you're saying everywhere. that they were, uh, they were megalithic builders. They, they built in stone and in oh, earth, yeah. uh, rock. and Huge. So would you say that uh, maybe Cusco... And uh, uh, Sacsayhuaman are uh, remnants of uh, uh, of uh, a Mu Mu's civilization because they are exactly what you're talking about: extreme precision yes. in megalithic stonework. Right. Uh, the next thing I discovered when I made this connection, I started going on uh, the internet, and I found legends. And these legends I found in various places. So I'm assuming that they are basically oral history. They may not be 100% accurate, but they present a continuing similar picture. Uh, The one I want to focus on is uh, Tiwanaku. Tiwanaka? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. 
Tiwanaku, uh, yeah. Tiwanaku. Yeah. And apparently at one time, Tiwanaku was at sea level. It is now at 12,500 feet. Now, how in God's name uh, does you know, something uh, go from sea level to 12,500 feet? Mm. And uh, according to Churchward, and this is, uh, Churchward had a great habit in his writing of making fun of uh, scientists. And uh, one of the things that he uh, insisted on in his books was that the mountains uh, in uh, North and South America and the rest of the world did not exist before about 17,000 B.C. According to geologists, it was millions of years ago, and Churchward says nonsense. Uh, they came up about 17,000 years ago. Well, that certainly explains uh, why uh, Lake uh, Titicaca is at 12,500 feet, because it came up with the mountains along the western edge of uh, North and South America. And uh, that was uh, Churchward's uh, uh, theory about it. So the legends say that a man uh, named uh, Amaru Muru, a very uh, high-ranking individual in uh, the Mu society, was sent after the first uh, part of Mu sank into the ocean to uh, create cities, and other people were sent to create cities to what we now know as uh, South America. But uh, this guy in particular was uh, sent to uh, the area which is now Peru. And when he got there, according to legend, uh, he arrived uh, at the, uh, what were already islands in uh, Lake Titicaca, which means that the first inundation had already happened because Prior mm-hmm. to that, there had been a huge city, which the Hopi write about, or speak about, uh, at the bottom of Lake Titicata. The, the city was named Titicata originally, and when the inundation came, it became a lake, and the whole city of Titicata is at the bottom of uh, Lake Titicata right now. And they have mm. found some ruins. They have found some ruins at the bottom of uh, the lake. So mm-hmm. this man apparently came, and he created uh, this... Uh, all these megaliths uh, that you mentioned, and uh, they were the predecessors of the Inca. And then later in time, the Inca incorporated the, uh, when they conquered that part of uh, South America, they incorporated these immigrants from Mu. And uh, originally, the people of Mu called themselves children of the sun, and the emperor or a king or priest, uh, uh, king priest of Mu was uh, called Ra-Mu, and Ra meant uh, sun. And so this is where the symbol of the sun comes in for Mu. And so the Inca claimed them, uh, the title of children of sun for themselves, and everybody thinks that this came from the Inca, but it didn't. It came from Mu. Uh, the Inca empire only lasted for about... Uh, uh, 250 years. I think it was something like uh, uh, 1300 to uh, 1533, and uh, so that is a background of you know where 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 it came. It came from Mu to uh, the western coast of Peru, Lake Titicaca, and then eventually wound up with the Inca in Cusco. Let me ask you a question, and this is fascinating. Um, 
there's a number of research scientists that are uh, in Peru have, who have discovered anomalous uh, skeletal remains, uh, and I think the most typically recognizable uh, type of human is this long-headed, very, very yeah. long-headed human. Yeah. Uh, would you say that those are uh, people from uh, the uh, sun culture of Mu that you're talking about, or is it, are those just an, uh, an anomalies? Because there's so many of these these uh, individuals, and unfortunately, we haven't had a real solid um, analysis of their uh, of skeletal remains other than the cranium, and th their brain capacity seems to be between 25 and 30 percent larger than what we have today. So do you have anything to say about that regarding those those uh, remains? Yeah. I, I believe that those are probably extraterrestrials. And I'll tell you why. Uh, there was, first of all, a book uh, written, uh, which is in my book, uh, by a Hopi elder, and he recounted the far uh, ancient history of the Hopi, and he said that the Hopi originally came from Mu. Mm. And along with that, he said when these uh, cataclysms uh, started happening, he said extraterrestrials came and helped his people uh, when they got to uh, South America, and helped them to migrate to Central America, Mexico, and then North America. Mm. Now, the same uh, legend exists in Hawaii. The Hawaii, the native Hawaiians also state that Hawaii was once a uh, part of Mu, and that extraterrestrials had uh, helped uh, their people when uh, Mu uh, got into the straits that it got into, uh, at this time. Now, and third, the lady who I mentioned, who I regressed a number of years ago back to Atlantis, also mentioned that in Atlantis, extraterrestrials had been helping the people, and that in her past life recall, she also mentioned that she was taken by some, some type of flying machine uh, out of Atlantis and uh, flown to Egypt where a lot of the uh, uh, immigrants uh, from Atlantis uh, went. And mm -hmm. uh, this is what created the sudden explosion of culture and so on and so forth in Egypt, was the uh, influx of all these uh, intelligent and educated people from Atlantis. So it is okay. quite possible that those skeletons that you're talking about are extraterrestrials. Okay. Uh, in your book, you mention uh, that... Uh the uh, land of Lemuria or Mu had uh, pretty much all the cultures that we see today, the red culture, the yellow, the white. It, it, um, is it, I think, what, the five cultures of the world were there? Is that what, is that what you had discovered? No, well, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't write about cultures, but uh, all five races were, according to uh, uh, church word, all five races were uh, on... Uh, on and in the continent and civilization of Mu. And uh, what's interesting about that, you know, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know if that's surprising or not, 
But uh, in any case, uh, what is, is surprising and interesting is that when people uh, came and rediscovered uh, Easter Island, they found three races of people there. And one was white-skinned, uh, one was brown-skinned, and one was black-skinned. And Easter Island is only about seven and a half miles by, I don't know, 10 miles or something like that. I mean, it's not a very big island. And how could you have three races on this tiny island? And so it's very obvious that you had, uh, you know, these people were remnants of the uh, population uh, of Amu that uh, Churchward wrote about. It's fantastic to, to, uh, to comprehend because there are civilizations, and as an example, I've done a lot of research in Central America, and here's the Olmec civilization that comes out of nowhere, completely right. settled, sophisticated engineering artistically, and there's these gigantic uh, basalt stone um, African-looking uh, figures, as well as right. Caucasian, and quite a few... Uh, uh, Asiatic-looking individuals. So it's a yeah. real mix that just shows up. And these are not. I mean, it's very hard for scientists to discover uh, a, a starting point. They just arrive, uh, and it's like they this showed up from some other place. They did. <laughs> they did. Okay. Um, you mentioned uh, Mexico, and Mexico was the last thing that I discovered. I didn't really think about Mexico when I was doing my research. Uh, I was mainly focused on North America and uh, Peru and the Pacific Rim. And uh, then I ran across something in Churchward that I'd uh, forgotten about, and uh, he has a diagram in one of his books that shows that there were three civilizations in Mexico before the present civilization. And uh, each one apparently was destroyed by volcanic activity followed by uh, tidal waves and uh, inundation. And uh, one of the things that were found uh, by a man named Niven, uh, who did a lot of this work, uh, he was a uh, self-made uh, 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 researcher, and he did a lot of digging in uh, Mexico, uh, I guess it was back in the 20s. And he found heads, uh, little, uh, little uh, stone uh, or clay statues, and they had all these different races that you're mentioning. And so apparently, uh, before these uh, tremendous uh, obliterations of civilizations, there must have been a tremendous amount of uh, movement around the planet and particularly around the what we call the Pacific Rim uh, between uh, societies, Oriental and uh, uh, other societies, you know. So, uh, and, 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 you know, the, the kinds of things like uh, the uh, uh, travels of, uh, what was his name, Thor Heyerdahl? Uh, is that yeah. pronouncing that right? Uh, uh, he's wrong because uh, they didn't get here uh, through boats, uh, 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 Mu was, uh, according to Edgar Casey, and uh, even according to uh, legends uh, when I lived in Santa Barbara, uh, uh, Mu, uh, the eastern coast of Mu, touched what is now the western coast of uh, the United States. 
And uh, so these people, you know, uh, there was a lot of trade apparently uh, going on uh, uh, around the world at, at that time before all these things uh, uh, started going wrong. Incidentally, one thing which I didn't get into, because I don't know enough about the, uh, geology and I don't want to get into that, but uh, is, is pertinent about all this, uh, and I recalled it from a, a little geology course I took when I was in college, is that the central portion of the United States was an inland sea at one time. And uh, much of the uh, North American continent was, uh, you know, marshy. And so people, you know, didn't live here. And uh, I forget uh, from my geology course when uh, the earth changes took place, which uh, uh, brought up the uh, land under the United States Midwest. But apparently when uh, those uh, changes came about and the land came up, uh, there and then and uh, other parts of the United States to make it more solid and livable. Apparently, that's when the people from Moose started coming to North America. So this must have been hundreds of thousands of years ago. Well, I don't know how long it was. I say I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember exactly geology. what it was, but so my yeah, geology. It shows on, the, on, uh, well, it just reveals but, uh, the great age of of that of that civilization of that. Uh, well, there are, there are there apparently there apparently are other civilizations also which I didn't get into. Uh, the eastern coast of the United States, according to Edgar Casey uh, and some others. Uh, was uh, settled by people who were fleeing Atlantis when it was going down. So your uh, native Indian population in the United States is not the same from the East Coast to the West Coast. It's a different group of people on the East Coast uh, as uh, from the West Coast. And the reason that there are similarities in their appearances, uh, obviously, is because these people uh, many thousands of years ago originally uh, left uh, Mu, uh, went to Atlantis, and then went to uh, the western part of the United States. Interesting. You know, you brought up William Niven, uh, who did a tremendous amount of archaeological excavation in, in the in the 20s. And I've actually seen his books and read a couple, one book where he literally has page after page of thousands of um, uh, special symbols and uh, real, uh, uh, artifacts, uh, carvings, and um, uh, figurines uh, by the thousands. And he was yeah. never really taken serious for all no. this finding. And, and it's Does amazing it? because it's, it, I mean, he, he actually worked for, for a long time doing his research, didn't he? Yeah, and the reason for that and for church word both is that they didn't have PhDs. They were not professors at some university, and so the academic community just dismissed them. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Uh, the, mo the, the most interesting thing, though, with uh, Niven was that in addition to the stuff that you mentioned, he found, uh, I think it was uh, something like 2,600 tablets, and he could make uh, a sense uh, uh, out of them. And uh, so he sent rubbings of these tablets to Churchward, and church were told him that apparently these tablets uh, appeared to be uh, uh, the descendants in terms of symbols of the symbols he'd found for Mu. So all these tablets in uh, the uh, Mexican uh, clay uh, had been originally uh, the, the the symbols and their meanings and so on had been uh, had come uh, come down from Mu. So there's another connection. Uh, between uh, Mu and, in this case, 
uh, and uh, and Mexico. Can you can you refresh our memory on just where? Because um, I know it was central somewhere in Central America or Central Mexico that Niven was uh, digging. But do you remember specifically uh, what areas? I don't have the reference in front of me. Um, uh, Wait a second. I forget the name because it's a. Uh, Mexican name, but I think it's uh, well, here's Mexico. Okay, let me see now. It's it's uh, I know it's north north uh, northwest. Okay, here here. It, it was. I mean, I know for for a fact for a fact that he he found these uh, this evidence in different locations, but there was one place when you brought up the 2,600 yeah. tablets, that was one specific place that was probably part of a temple, I remember. But he, it, was, it, uh, he, he, origi he originally started digging in San Miguel Amantla, mm -hmm. Atzacapotzalco, <laughs> however you pronounce okay. that, uh, yeah. Valley, of uh, Valley of Mexico, uh, in an area not far from the Pacific Ocean, which accounts for them, you know, having been wiped out by the uh, tidal waves when uh, these things happened. And mm -hmm. then, uh, oh, he found the tablets at Santiago Ahuizoetla, however that's pronounced. Uh, okay. And uh, then, then there is uh, there's another area. I'll talk. I'll keep talking if I can find out what the name of it is. But there was this huge area northwest of uh, Mexico City, and uh, there there are pyramids there, and uh, there was a whole city with uh, uh, houses and te here it is. It's, mm -hmm. uh, I can't pronounce it. T e o t i h u a c a N, T O T Huacan. Okay, and they have pyramids and so on. Now this is this is an interesting. Oh, is it Tio Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a very famous place. Tio is where the big pyramids are. That's the one of the pyramids in the world. Now, what what's 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 interesting about this to me is it makes me laugh. Is that. Anthropologists and uh, historians invariably say, well, this city was inexplicably abandoned, and then uh, Tiwanaku was inexplicably abandoned, and then all these, all these uh, uh, temples in uh, uh, South America and Central America were inexplicably abandoned. They weren't ab abandoned. The people were wiped out by, by these uh, inundations. It was. Yeah. It, it wasn't. It wasn't just a, a, a mu that was inundated, but all of the west coast of uh, South America, Central America, and uh, Mexico were inundated, and so the population there didn't inexplicably leave. They were wiped out by these waves. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because in your book, you describe the seismic regions around the Pacific area and its volatility and the pro and, and probably the reason why uh, Amu was destroyed uh, was because of um, 
uh, a tectonic shift of a huge, uh, a huge uh, scale. No, I don't know. Actually, actually, according to Church Word, it wasn't a tectonic shift. Uh, he said that uh, underneath Mu were what he called huge chambers filled with volcanic gas. Now, these are really humongous chambers. I mean, you know, we can't uh, you know, really conceive as to how huge they were, but they were huge. Mm. And then apparently, when the uh, volcanoes around the Pacific Rim, around the uh, Ring of Fire, uh, started erupting over various times, they took with them these gases. And after a while, these chambers, which contained these gases, there was nothing in them. And these gases in the chambers had been holding up the continent of Mu. And when the gases were removed from these chambers, the chambers collapsed, and then the whole continent of Mu went down with it. And wow. so... The, that that is how that happened. But uh, if you do any kind of research at all, and I didn't do very much, just uh, enough to satisfy myself. There is just something uh, like I don't, I can't remember now. Something like 975 volcanoes uh, around the uh, Pacific uh, Rim, which is humongous. And uh, so all of these uh, changes, which uh, came about, came about, uh, I would assume, uh, by the cooling of the Earth. Uh, as it as it uh, started to cool, uh, these volcanoes came up, and uh, then uh, uh, I don't know, know enough about geology to uh, get much further into it. But okay. uh, when 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 the uh, continent of Mu went down, uh, it created other changes. Obviously, uh, one of the changes was the raising of the mountains. If you just think logically, if something big goes down the Pacific Ocean, something has to come up somewhere else. Uh, to uh, you know, uh, compensate for it, and this apparently is what happened with uh, North and South America, the West Coast. These mountains yeah. came up uh, when uh, Mu went down. And so uh, that's a big enough continent that they probably would have caused uh, earthquakes and tsunamis to oh, hit yeah. uh, the Pacific Rim, Mexico, all the way up into California. Today's California, who knows Everything. how far up. And pretty much wipe things out substantially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, as I read your book, George, uh, I'm fascinated and kind of dis in dismay that these early researchers, their work, uh, Niven and Churchward, uh, were dismissed by yes. uh, the scientists because Niven's work alone is yep. a history, is a history that is not valid and i don't know what these what the science science world thought about but you also bring up the strange story of dr uh, javier cabrera uh, uh de, de Gara and and his strange stone carvings what what can you tell us about what he discovered because his 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 discoveries are unique too uh, they're they're extraordinary uh, uh i just stumbled across them by chance uh, and nobody's paying any attention to them. Yeah. And uh, because, uh, I'll get into what they are in a second, but because of uh, certain uh, laws in Peru about uh, ancient artifacts, the uh, farmer who found most of these 
uh, was almost prosecuted because they said you're not allowed to deal in ancient artifacts. And uh, so the, uh, he almost went to jail, uh, to prison. And uh, so what happened was that uh, the man said, oh, I made them up. Uh, I forged them. Well, okay. first of all, th there are a total of 15,000 of these things. And right. the idea that one, that one man is going to uh, uh, individually uh, forge uh, engravings on 15,000 stones is ridiculous. But uh, this is what the Peruvian uh, government settled on. So anyway, these stones were discovered first by a, uh, some farmer, and he uh, took them to uh, this gentleman, and uh, he bought them from him, and the guy came back with more, and uh, so he kept on uh, buying them from this guy, and eventually he wound up with 11,000 of them, and right. uh, there are another 4,000 that are uh, apparently in the possession of other people, uh, I don't know who, because uh, that was never uh, mentioned, uh, who else uh, so, owns these. So let's just stop for a second, and I want to identify these to our audience. These are known as the famous Inca stones. And Ica. why they are, Ica. why are they are, Ica, excuse me, I'm sorry. Ica, I-C-A. Yeah. I added, yeah. yeah, Ica stones, pardon me. Um, yeah. Why they are unique and why they are uh, not considered uh true artifacts by the scientific community is that a number of them, a quite a quite large percentage show dinosaurs, uh, show humans riding on dinosaurs, humans yep. interacting with dinosaurs, um, and uh, this is just too much for uh -huh. conventional science to deal with, and so right. they are considered a sham. But why don't you tell us a little more about what you discovered? Uh, uh, in these stones. Well, all, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Uh, these, uh, one of the things that I found uh, very interesting is, uh, I don't know if it was him or somebody else, uh, sent, uh, I think it was four of these stones to a scientific laboratory in Germany. And uh, they were analyzed there. And uh, they, you know, the, the scientists uh, there said uh, uh, these are not forgeries. The grooves in the stones that were engraved into the stones are very ancient, and you can show it by, uh, you know, chemical uh, uh, tests. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the stones, uh, which I have in my book, uh, shows... Uh, engraved on one uh, rock what the surface of the planet Earth looked like about 13 million years ago. Now, that's enough to make your hair, hair stand on end because uh, wow. uh, e even, even you know, if these uh, were engraved uh, 10 or 20,000 years ago, uh, how did these people know what the Earth looked like 13 million years ago? So that, that really, you know, gives you some pause. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, also, when after the uh, government uh, claimed these are all uh, fakes, uh, a man named uh, Dennis Swift wrote a book, and uh, he noted in his book that uh, priests and chroniclers traveling with the Spanish conquistadors in the 1500s wrote about the strange engraved stones of Ica. So these were not, uh, you know, fraud, fraudulent; uh, they existed. Uh, way back when, 
And a lot of these stones, I didn't mention it in my book, uh, I forgot to mention it, a lot of these uh, stones were found in uh, graves. And uh, one of the uh, uh, occupations of some people in uh, Peru is to rob graves. And this has been going on for hundreds, uh, hundreds of years. So they'll find graves, uh, ancient graves, which you know you can't even locate uh, unless you know where to look, and they'll dig them up. And in many of these graves, they found these stones. So mm. these go way, way back, and uh, they uh, they come from an unknown civilization in an extremely distant past. Now, one one of the things I mentioned from a couple of sources uh, in my book is that uh, people who you know, are qualified, according to the establishment, uh, to make uh, pronouncements about uh, geological and archaeological things. I've come to the conclusion that the ruins in uh, South America are two are of two kind, and w- uh, one kind is uh, things like uh, with the uh, uh, Inca and others like them, and they say this is of relatively recent. Uh, uh, origin and reflects a uh, deterioration of a much greater culture that existed before the Incas and these other civilizations which are in the history books. So there are two uh, major, according to these people, there are two major uh, civilizations uh, in uh, both uh, South America, Central America, uh, and uh, wow. also, also there were there were three, as I mentioned, with Mexico, there were three inundations uh, along the west coast of South and North America, and so there mm-hmm. were three stages. Uh, there appear to be of only uh, you know two distinct uh, civilizations in uh, Peru and areas around there, but there were three waves. And uh, one of the things also that I write about in this, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And that is uh, the uh, language studies that were made and DNA studies that were made. And both Casey, Edward Casey, and uh, James Churchward said there were three waves of immigrants to North and South America. And the language studies and the DNA, study, DNA studies also show three waves of people. And that's really wow. fascinating. And, and that is purely scientific. This is not legend. This was developed by people in the last uh, 20 years or so. And mm. that's what got me going, and that's what got me to write this book, because I had no intention of writing a book. I, I just got interested in, in the subject because I was studying uh, these uh, shamanic uh, rites, and uh, sh- I was taking the shamanic training. And when I started Amazing. reading this, uh, this uh, modern stuff, I said, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute! You know, this is not a this this is not a legend. I mean, what is this? You know, and exactly uh, th- uh, th- this book I've written is very small, but you go and read it, and I mean, there are just dozens and dozens and dozens of pure facts which have been developed right. by scientists in the last twenty or thirty years. So right. uh, you know, somebody somebody saying that uh, Mu is uh, just a legend—they don't know what they're talking about. Well, they're not paying attention, and this is what drives me nuts. Now, you just uh, you just brought up something I think would be 
something to, if they could verify it, uh, it would be wonderful that uh, the, the conquistadors and their chronicles actually have records of seeing these uh, uh, Ica, uh, Ica uh, stones. Uh, oh, it's in the record. It's in the record. Yeah. But I can't, well, that I, right I can't there, that would shut these, these, these naysayers uh, uh, down a little bit. I just think it's too mind-blowing for them to see pictures of humans uh, standing well, you next know, you to know what I, you, know what, you know what I'd like yeah. to see? And maybe, you know, somebody, uh, it might be me, uh, somebody should uh, set up a Kickstarter fund and uh, create, a fund, uh, create a fund of about a couple hundred thousand dollars and uh, find a adventurous uh, graduate student in uh, anthropology and hand in this information and just say, track this all down and find more along the same lines and write a real academic book of uh, three, four hundred pages uh, proving that there was something there. Incidentally, I couldn't find it again because I only found a couple of mentions and it's not in my book. But there, there, there have been two or three geologists who said there was a continent in the Pacific Ocean and they probably lost their jobs as a result of that. Uh, mm. But, the, but there were two or, two or three people who printed articles saying that they believed there was a continent in the Pacific Ocean. So it's not a hundred percent, you know, cover up. Yeah, and I think it's a cover. I, uh, I think I think it's a cover up. I really well, I, I think, uh, and we we hear from a lot of geologists and archaeologists on our program. Uh, I think it's just a, a changing of the guard, and I think the the the, the young uh, academics, the young archaeologists uh, uh, that are coming up, and we heard it from Scott Walter, who's a respected um, geologist and who has his program on uh, American Unearth, that that's, it's the younger groups that are not going to stand by and keep covering things up. I mean, uh, Scott detailed that in his estimation, the Smithsonian Institute is, is uh, responsible for some of the greatest cover-ups in our country and continues to be so. I believe that it's Smithsonian and also the National Geographic Society that are not our friends, that are not giving us the truth of our uh, heritage, uh, which probably goes back many, many, many thousands of years in the United States. And then in around the world, uh, the story of the Maya is wrong. If you go down to the Maya, they're, they're, their cities are extremely well constructed, engineered in many ways, uh, much better than a lot of the cities that we have today. So there, there's, um, there's a story to tell, and uh, it's just a matter of time before this stuff comes up. And books like yours, Move the First Great Civilization, uh, help us to see that uh, it's not all fantasy, that there's some, there's some validity. Well, you know, you know this, is, this, is, this is very similar to uh, going back uh, to the nonsensical idea that the Earth is flat. I mean, this is exactly the same sort of thing. And uh, one of the things that uh, occurred to me just very recently is that all of the things, all of these things are being ignored because it does not comply with the uh, religious uh, history in the Bible. You know, and uh, oh, yeah. I know that uh, I know that will be a comp uh, you know a controversial statement, but it just came to me a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, well, yeah, 
you know, I mean, the, the Catholic Church has been uh, suppressing all kinds of information uh, over the centuries, and this is just more of the same. Hmm. It is. Um, in, in the time we have left, uh, George, can you tell us a little bit about what you discovered? Uh, uh, now, you state that uh, in your book that there are uh, remnants of Mu uh, from the Hopi Indians that we heard about it. And actually, you actually give reference to the elder Oswald White Bear uh, Fredericks, uh, yeah. who believes that his ancestry uh, is, is extremely old and it comes from Mu. I mean, just to know that, that's a book right there. Um, yeah, well, he, but, he wrote. He wrote. He wrote it. He wrote a book. Uh, oh, he, he did. Uh, yeah, he he wrote. He wrote a book, and uh, he dictated it. I think uh, it was something like uh, 1993, and then it was finally published in 2007. It's in my in the big bibliography at the end of my book. I have to look for that. Yeah, that's something I want to read. But can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, the? the uh, uh, references to South, uh, uh, Southern California, to New Mexico, that had these influences, and maybe uh, the tribe, the Indian tribes that are descendants? Yeah, uh, the, uh, it's going out of my head now with the, the name of this people, are, uh, I'll look it up in a second. But anyway, this uh, one uh, group of Indians in uh, California, Chumash, uh, Chumash Indians, and uh, they always say that they came from the west. They point to the west. Well, what's west of California? Uh, the ocean. And uh, so they claim they came from the west. And uh, they are apparently remnants. Uh, uh, some, some came when you know things started going uh, badly, but uh, apparently some uh, must have come uh, just because it was uh, very close to the eastern edge of uh, uh, Mu, and uh, when people started leaving Mu and going to other parts of the world, uh, the Chumash uh, uh, came to uh, California, and uh, they still are there. Uh, mm -hmm. They they lived in uh, the Los Angeles area and uh, uh, Santa Barbara and uh, up the coast, and it goes all the way up to Oregon. Uh, I forget what the name of the Indians are up in uh, Oregon, but uh, okay. uh, all, all, of, all of these people are, uh, came, uh, uh, came along there. So uh, one of the uh, things that uh, is interesting is uh, in their language. In their language and in other languages, the word mu keeps coming up. And so, for example, in Hawaii, the people talk about Lemu, L-E-M-U, who is the king of a great kingdom at the bottom of the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And uh, all kinds of names are incorporated with the word Mu in uh, both uh, Peru and uh, in Japan. Uh, apparently Japan, uh, Japanese and Quechua, uh, the language that the Karos speak, are very similar. And how the heck is that possible? that a bunch of Indians in uh, uh, South America speak uh, almost the same sort of language as the Japanese do. And uh, so there are these uh, linguistic uh, uh, cues, clues, uh, that are also, uh, uh, you know, found all around the world. And, and then, uh, then, then there are, uh, you know, things like uh, farming, uh, terrace farming are found all kinds of, 
uh, similar uh, ways of terrace farming are found in, uh, all over the world. And, you know, it, what, what, you, can't, you can't have people uh, uh, developing the same thing at the same time by accident. I mean, it doesn't happen. You know, I mean, let, let, let's be serious about this. You know, uh, everybody doesn't right. suddenly, in, uh, suddenly invent pyramids. I mean, that's nonsense. You know, right. it, had to co- it had to come from somewhere. And uh, everything, everything that is uh, written about, uh, whether it is uh, DNA, whether it's uh, languages, whether it's geology, uh, whether it's geological history, all of it, uh, it indicates that it came from the center of the Pacific, uh, Pacific Ocean. Okay, so okay. right now we, we don't have anything in the center of the Pacific Ocean. Well, very logically, as Sherlock Holmes would point out, uh, once you have uh, you know, eliminated the impossible, uh, whatever is left, however unbelievable, is true. And this is the case with Mu. Okay. And that's why I wrote, that's why I wrote the book, because I mean, there, was just, there was just too much information. I had to go and uh, write it down and uh, let other people read it. Do, do you think that the uh, design of the pyramid maybe originated in Mu, and there's just some purpose that we don't understand? Because I think there's some scientists that have done tests on the shape of a pyramid, and it does have certain properties that uh, reflect and uh, capture energy. And uh, we've had other people on the program that say that, uh, as an example, the Maya uh, built their pyramids over geologically uh, powerful energy uh, fields called telluric fields, and the, the pyramids were made to actually enhance those fields. How they were used once they got up into the pyramid is no one's no one has an idea. It's, it's a loss. It's yeah, a loss. I've, I've, I've read that too. I haven't read very much. I've just read, you know, maybe some mentions of it uh, in relation to uh, the uh, Great Pyramid of Cheops, where they, uh, I couldn't understand, you know, it's too technical. But uh, they claim that this was uh, probably something that generated uh, some, some, I'm not going to call it electricity, because apparently it wasn't electricity. It was some other type of energy. And, right. uh, some, and somehow or other, we have lost that energy. And if we could recover it, uh, you can forget about coal and oil and electricity, because this mm-hmm. energy is uh, something. And of course, uh, the, uh, the, the industries would not like it, because this energy can be made for almost nothing and would cost virtually nothing for the people. So obviously, they're yeah. going to suppress it. Um. Okay, in, in the in, let's let's go let's get esoteric for a minute. Uh, yeah. uh, let's talk about spirituality. Uh, you uh, uh, are a deeply spiritual person. Uh, you're a shaman, um, and um, you, you, at the beginning of the program, you said that uh, up until Church Ward's work. There was nothing written until 2000, and you felt that there was some kind of an expansion, a uh, vibration that was uh, permeating people to the point where 2000 and, and after uh, were these books. Do you think that there's something about that, um, a, a vibration, uh, uh, something that is is uh, causing people to rethink and re- revisit Amu and Lemuria? Yeah, let me let me start by talking about uh, spirituality. Uh, the word spirituality has been co-opted by religion, and I do not feel that spirituality is religion. Religion has co-opted 
spirituality. The Karo shamans, and from what I understand, all shamans uh, are spiritual people. They're not religious people. They are spiritual people. Uh, and I want to m split that into two parts. One has to do with a creator and your relationship with the creator and who you are as an individual. I believe, like a great many people, that we are uh, spirits or souls, or whatever you want to, uh, word you want to use it, who are living in physical bodies for whatever reason we're doing it. Okay, So that's one part of the word spiritual. The other part of the world of the word is the actual things that happen which people call spiritual. So, uh, for example, you know, life after death, reincarnation, uh, uh, natural healing, energy healing, uh, psychic uh, uh, information, you know, these are all sort of uh, dumped into this basket of spiritual. But these things are really halfway between physical and what I just mentioned about spiritual. These are practical things of the spirit. From a practical point of view, I can do a psychic reading and tell a person something that they did not know. Or I can verify something that a person knew about themselves and I had no way of knowing it. Okay? I can do a, a shamanic uh, technique like a surgeon and I can affect a certain healing for that person. Okay? I can, uh, I can uh, move... Uh, attached spirits, spirits of earthbound people that are attached to them. I can move them off this person and move them into the light. That's not really a spiritual thing in the first terms that I mentioned. This has nothing to do with God and my relationship with God and who I am. So these things that I am mentioning have existed for hundreds of thousands of years. There's nothing unique about what I do. It has existed for hundreds of thousands of years, and as uh, man uh, got, uh, I think, probably got destroyed when Mu and Atlantis got destroyed, okay? I don't think it was uh, deliberately suppressed by anybody. It simply got lost because the people who survived Atlantis and Mu had only one thing on their mind, I've got to survive. My right. wife and my kids have got to survive. Uh, the heck with all the other stuff. We've got to survive. Uh, according to uh, church word, uh, cannibalism came about as a result of this. These people were stuck on these peaks of mountains in the middle of the Pacific with no food to eat, no animals, and they had to survive somehow, so they ate each other. This was out of necessity. This was not because these people are, quote, savages. This was sheer necessity just like the Donner Party uh, in the United States uh, who got trapped in a storm and they ate a couple of people. So uh, these things, all of, all of, all of the, a lot of the problems that uh, have come about and a lot of the information that's been suppressed or lost, I should say, have come about because of the destruction of Mu and Atlantis. Now going back to your question, I was, I was not a religious person. I never, I, I never went to any, I never belonged to any religion, never practiced any religion. 
And all of a sudden, in 1978, my younger son was lost at sea, and suddenly I was drawn to all these so-called spiritual techniques and practices and information and so on. At the same time, this was in 1978, at the same time, looking back, in the 1970s, there was an explosion of paperback books on metaphysical things, on various kinds of spiritual practices, and on just spiritual matters, as I defined it earlier. And so Edgar Cayce actually said that the calendar is incorrect, and the 21st century started in 1931. Mm. So we are, we've actually been in the 21st century uh, for 79, uh, 85 years. So the, this, this millennium is intended, according to esoteric records, to be a spiritual one. You wouldn't know it by what's going on today, but uh, if you, you know, look at the, what's going on in the world, you'll see that despite all the nasty things that are happening, there are some very positive things that are happening also, especially in the United States. And despite all the things that are wrong still, you know, with certain things in our country like our race relationship and our economic the distribution of wealth, uh, other things have changed definitely for the better. Okay. okay. I mean, we don't have we don't have child labor anymore. Uh, women aren't property anymore. Women have the right to vote. Uh, minorities have civil rights. And uh, you have, uh, you know, in-law, voting rights, et cetera, et cetera. So there are still things wrong, but if you look at the broad span of this country and of the world, things are more spiritual. They're nowhere near what they should be, but they are more spiritual. Now, one of the things uh, in relation to your original question that I ran across, and I can't give you any more than just a mention because that's all I found, I found a mention somewhere that the navel of the world, the so-called heart chakra of the world, was in Tibet for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mm. Now, this energy in Tibet was a masculine, intellectual, mental energy. Sometime in the last few years, maybe around 2000, I don't know exactly what the date was, that navel of the world or that heart chakra in Tibet moved and it moved to Peru and now it is not generating the intellectual male energy it is generating heart energy and feminine energy so this is going to cause a tremendous change in the world and you can see it reflected in the United States by the roles that women are beginning or have been assuming in the last 30, 40 years. You can see the feminine, feminine interest. The other thing that I ran across is the legend that when the condor of South America uh, pairs up with the eagle of the United States, then the new millennium will start. Well, the condor is heart-centered, the eagle is uh, intellectually centered. 
So what this is saying is when we combine our intellect with our heart, then we'll start becoming new people. Mm. And one of, one of the things that's involved in my shamanic training and the rights that I get, I got, was that these rights are intended to create a new human being, which Alberto Violdo calls Homo Illuminus, the illuminated wow. human, the illuminated human. And this is not just, uh, you know, uh, an emotionally or spiritual illuminated person. His belief and mine also, and many others, and, and you've probably heard this also, is that once we get a certain level of spiritual evolvement of the human race, the entire planet will change its vibratory rate and will mm. become less, less physical and less material oriented. Okay. And I think that, and I think that legend and Alberto's uh, and these rites of the Carol reflect that. Amazing. Um, so, it, to, to my mind, and and it's in the Vedas, the ancient Hindu doctrines, uh, and the yugas, is that this is a cyclic situation. We've probably been here this 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 uh, evolution before. Oh, hundreds yeah. of thousands of years ago, maybe millions of years ago, you know, and that's really the challenge I, I see. I, I'm, I used to be very frustrated at our sciences for poo-pooing ancient civilizations because there was no documents, but uh, luckily we do have some ruins. But it's it's a subtle energy kind of a thing. It's a it's a subtle orientation that we're we're receiving. We're being bathed with uh, unseen vibrational energy that's changing us, it's evolving us. Right. We can't, we're not on a level to understand it because we don't have the technology to measure it yet. It's just that we have to see it. We see it in our kids and we see it in, in glimmers of hope with what people are doing. But yeah. um, I guess, I guess it, it's, it's a little challenging for a lot of us, including me. <laughs> Uh, I, I had one example of what you're talking about. It was really um, um, made me uh, sit up and take notice. <clears throat> uh, I had a woman who uh, got me started on my spiritual path, uh, and her name is Marian Starnes, and uh, she's a minister of a church, but she's also an extraordinary psychic. And she was my first uh, spiritual uh, teacher. And... Uh, she said, this was back in 1978, she said that the children that are being born at that time, she said, these are extraordinary children, and <clears throat> they will <clears throat> change the world. And I started, you know, said, yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, then right around that time, I, went, I met this young woman uh, in uh, an Edward Casey group and uh, got to be friends with her. And she had uh, two small daughters. I think one was about uh, three years old, three, three and a half years old. One was about six, something like that. And uh, one afternoon, uh, I'd never met them, and one afternoon I went over to, uh, I don't know, give her something or get something from her to her place. And uh, she went to get a cup of tea for me. And while she was doing that, these two little girls are 
start talking to me. Three and six. I'm talking to them for about five minutes, and by that time, they were the adult and I was the child. <laughs> I mean, I mean, these two little girls just uh, made my hair stand up, really. I mean, they were. I I can't I can't describe it. All I can say is that they were just. They were talking to me on a level uh, that no child talks. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't using adult language, but what they were telling me, or what they were saying, or what they were discussing at three and six. I mean, I have never heard a three and six year old uh, say before. Mm-hmm. So uh, she said, you know, a lot of people, a lot of uh, very spiritual people. Uh, I assume that uh, many of these people had finished their cycle on Earth and are coming back as a service to mankind, are uh, coming back, and a lot of them are uh, re- ha- have been reincarnating since, you know, mid-70s. And so uh, mid-70s, so that makes them about 35, 40 years old. And so we should start seeing some very interesting things in the next 10, 20 years. Because these people are going to take over the world. Well, those are that that would be the age group known as the millennials, and uh, um, so and and that group apparently um, is the up and coming uh, people out here in California, here in the Bay Area. The millennials are the ones who are running the Googles and the Yahoos and a lot of the uh, fantastic uh, startups developing software applications for iPhones and for computers and things like that. But that's pretty hard evidence. There's some subtlety that I'm waiting to see. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's that's good news. That's good news. George, it's yeah. been a, a, a great uh, honor. And I, I want to thank you for your contribution, Moo, the first great civilization. Um, and I want to remind people that uh, Dr. George uh, uh, Schwimmer, my guest today, has also written quite a few other books, uh, Psychic Awareness, uh, Energy Work. He, he's, he's done a lot of uh, – written a lot. Uh, and all these books are available as downloadable digital books on Amazon. And I really encourage, you, encourage my audience who is listening uh, to this program to go and download George's books. They're quick, quite well written. Uh, they're they're uh, composed in a situation that if you don't have a Kindle reader, you can uh, use the Amazon readers that are all free, or you can download a reader that allows you to see uh, and read and see the, the images uh, in George's books uh, without any kind of uh, additional um, payment or, or technology needs. Most computers today, if you're at least running Windows 7, even XP, I believe, which is old now, uh, will run uh, a digital file uh, for an ebook. So, um, so George, thank you very much. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, is, is there any any new books that you can tell us about that that are on the uh, cusp? Well, I just wrote one book, which has nothing to do with uh, spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You want me to mention that? Well, go ahead. Uh, That's fine. It, it's about Lee Harvey Oswald, the man who was uh, supposedly uh, uh, killed John Kennedy. 
And uh, I wound up doing the same sort of uh, research that uh, I did for this Moo book. Uh, I didn't intend to write a book. It's just I got uh, curious about him one day, and I started uh, reading about him. And uh, there's no doubt whatsoever that uh, the uh, Warren Commission was a pack of lies and that they uh, framed him and that they murdered him. And uh, so I wrote this book, and it's called uh, the, uh, the Truth Behind the Legend of Lee Harvey Oswald. So that's my latest one. It's okay. the only book I've written that's not spiritual. Ah, okay. Fantastic. Well, thanks again. And um, um, again, uh, you can find all George's books on Amazon. They're all digital e-books. And um, perhaps, as you say, we are all slowly becoming homo illuminous uh, beings. I think uh, it's uh, something to consider. Uh, be nice to have some technology to be able to measure that. So thanks again, George. Thank you. Uh, so that's our program today. I want to um, remind you that uh, next week uh, our, the guest is uh, going to be speaking on DMT. Um, and um, I hope you'll join us. Also, please go to uh, Facebook and see each week Facebook Earth Ancients has uh, a great list of items that are not only of my interest, that are of interest to our community. And if you go to Facebook and you uh, go to uh, Earth Ancients, you go to the group page, that has more blogging, it has my blogs, has my articles, has my information. But we have over 12,000 members and uh, I encourage people to write and provide their focal points too on what interests them. Again, happy 4th of July, and we'll talk to you next week.